Welcome to NL Full Time. I'm Luke Edwards. Happy Easter to everyone. And we're hoping to do a double bubble over this weekend because, of course, Good Friday fixtures and then Easter Monday fixtures across the three National League divisions. And Good Friday, wow, what a day it was. We'll get onto that very shortly. But I'll tell you who is here with us. We have Rob Worrell. Hello, Rob. Yeah, hi, Luke. Hi, guys. He he caught up with Sheridan Robbins from BBC Somerset, and he'll also tell us how Tommy Whittington's first game in charge of Aldershot went. We've also got Dickie Wharton. Hello, Dickie. Good afternoon, Luke. Good to see you as ever. Now the shackles are off Telford. They they went. It was a good Friday for them, but we'll get onto that later on as well. Yeah, it was indeed. Yeah, we found out <laughs> and we found ourselves involved in a, another story uh, that's broken in the last twenty well twenty four hours later. But yeah, we'll cover that when we get to the National League North. And we've got Joe Pope as well. Hello, Joe from Off the Line Blog and now NL Full Time Regular. Yeah, thanks for having me back on. It's I can finally come on after a win. So. It's only because you've been missing the last two weeks when they won as well. Yeah. <laughs> and also joining us as a special guest this week, we have from analyst Baran, Big Knots County fan, Tom Williams. Hello, Tom. Hi, guys. Thanks for having me on. Um, glad to be here and I'm a big fan of the show, so glad to finally get on. Good endorsement. We'll start with you then, Tom, because a good win for Knots County, keeping up the pace with Wrexham ahead of that big game on Easter Monday, and indeed they went top because Wrexham lost at Halifax by three goals to one. They had been leading, but they fell behind and ended up losing by three goals to one. Phil Parkinson wasn't happy afterwards, says he didn't deal with they didn't deal with the Halifax threat very well. Notts County, meanwhile, had a really comfortable win over Wheelstone, didn't he, Tom? Yeah, it was pretty comfortable in the end, to be honest. Um, I'm a big fan of Wheelstone and what Stuart Maynard's what she may not have done there, but I think, to be honest, on the day, there was just uh, clear levels to between the two sides and um, that's not said in any, any disrespect to them because we, first half, um, you know, we, we turned up like, well, we turned up like that against Scunthorpe, but there's not been too often recently where our first halves have been um, as fast-paced as that. I mean, we were all over them. We, we could have been four or five nil up at half-time, but Sam Housing goal. Had a brilliant game, but um, yeah, just to mention for for Jason Turner as well, it was a big emotional day for everyone at the club, and um, you could see that with the the players and Luke Williams as well that they were really up for it, and I think that response from the club was was on the pitch. Unfortunately for Wheelstone, because it looked really comfortable for us in the end. Tom, does it um, as well? You mentioned about Jason Turner. Do you think a tragedy like that can galvanise an even further as well? It really, sort of, let's go and win the league for him. Yeah, he's he's done it again um, on the hour mark as well. Like you said, yeah, Langstaff. He was um, he's he's broken the record as well, which was uh, unfortunately they they attacked the uh, the family stand in the second half. So um, it was the at the other end of the pitch. So I I, I could had to test my, my my eyesight to see it go in, but um, yeah, he finished finished coolly um, on on the break. So yeah, brilliant for him and brilliant for us to to kill three points. Must be nice in- to be a Notts County fan and get to choose, you know, to be upset that the goal was scored at the other end. Oh, how dear. I mean, <laughs> yeah. how terrible. Yeah, I know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we've only scored 106 of them this season, so, uh, you know, we've seen a few of them. It's just incredible, really, that, um, you know, as we're going to cover in a moment, you know, the fact that the, the two teams are going to go into something which 
we've known for a while is probably going to be the, one of the biggest games of the season, if not the biggest game of the season, on exactly the same number of points, exactly the same number of goals. Um, you know, goal difference, yeah, Wrexham conceded three more, and yes, they've got a game in hand. But, you know, could it, it really couldn't be much closer, could it? And I think we're, we're just all looking forward to Monday afternoon now. Luke Williams, his previous job at Swindon didn't go that well, and it was a bit of a... An eyebrow-raising appointment, wasn't it? I must admit, I didn't think he'd do as well as he's done this year. But he's been very cool, calm and, and respectful as well of, of opposition, hasn't he, this season? Yeah, he's a, he's a very respectful man. I think that the only time it kind of went a little bit wrong was when he got caught on the back foot about Jack Bridge at South End, And I think, you know, he came out and apologised for that. And I think that was just him um, showing his inexperience. You know, as you said, he's only had one job before. So, you know, he's, he's learned on the job almost. But I think... In terms of being a coach, there's not going to be many better than, than Luke Williams. Uh, the, the term footballing genius is thrown around a lot, but I think what he's he's done um, with us, the way he's got to play, and he's improved players, he's completely changed different players into different positions and, and different... Yeah, look at Adam Chickson, he's now a goal-scoring wing-back, and even yeah, you know, yesterday, he, he could have got a goal too, so Luke Williams has done a brilliant job, and, and he's made it competitive for us and the fact that we're still in the title race with four games to go against a side that have got 100 points uh, I think that speaks volumes of, of what a man he is Over at the Shaves we mentioned Wrexham they took the lead through Elliot Lee but then were pegged back in the second half and it was the Millie Alley show wasn't it Rob? Yeah in the form of his life he's probably got the best goal celebrations in the National League as well with his flips and his somersaults outstanding skill and I didn't realise until recent weeks just how two-footed he is he can he can send you one way he can go the other um, and I think it was a couple of left foot finishes um, definitely some question marks about Ben Foster for me for the first goal and to some extent the second he just seemed slow to react I don't think he should have been letting the first one past him but full credit to Millie Ali who uh, um, also set up the third goal despite being having his shirt very firmly tugged back by Ben Tozer. He didn't go down. He carried on his run, slipped it inside to Manny Dizaruve and uh, and he finished and, and and it was a deserved, you know, win for Halifax. And uh, another big swing yesterday, which probably people haven't picked up on, but going into yesterday's games, Wrexham had a two-goal better goal difference than Notts County. And by losing 3-1 at Halifax while Notts County won 3-0, it's swung round the other way now and Notts County have three goals ahead. And look, the way this season has gone, it's so ridiculous, isn't it? You know, what's to say they don't end up, you know, the title being decided on goal difference on 110 points or something. Yeah, it's crazy. And obviously, Tom, as well, you must have been really pleased when you heard that result as well uh, happening in West Yorkshire. It was probably a result that nobody really saw coming. However, potentially... Getting through to the FA Trophy final has really galvanised Halifax for the end of the season. We spoke last week, there's a very little chance that they'll be relegated and they're playing for places for the Wembley final and that's just galvanised them, hasn't it? And they went out almost with the shackles off against Wrexham. Yeah, no, definitely. I, I was um, I was buzzing when, when we, the, the scores were coming through. Um, you know, I wasn't quite believing it until, until I saw it myself with my own eyes because you don't want to get too excited. And, and when they scored, when they went to one up, to be honest, I actually... Um, thought they'd scored too early. I thought that, um, you know, with the way that Wrexham have done this season, uh, a late goal or two, you, you can't put it past them. But, um, 
yeah, the, 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 the FA Trophy result, it just shows how important the trophy is. I think that, you know, they, they've gone through last minute, how different I think things would have gone. Uh, if they hadn't scored again, Millie Ali, the, the man of the of the moment, he did it again in the trophy. And if he hadn't scored that goal last minute, it's hard to see them actually having the confidence to to have done what they did yesterday to to Wrexham. So, I think that that is true about the trophy. It's a massive turnaround for them. And Halifax fans, are you happy now? You're in the FA Trophy final. You've just beaten Wrexham three one. Luke, you're always mentioning how hard they are to please the Halifax fans. Surely they've got to have smiles on their faces now, right? 49 points as well. Almost safe for the season. I'm guessing their argument might be, though, that they don't do it enough. They've probably shown enough in some games this season where they've played really well and then others they haven't and it's been a bit inconsistent. I think Chris Millington's admitted that. I mean, we'll get to probably chat to him after the FA Trophy final. Um, He's a very nice guy. We've had a chat with him before. So it'd be interesting to get his thoughts on that and whether he's kind of looking because it is quite a young squad at Halifax so they'll be looking to surely push on next season I think the disappointments come from the fact that they've been up in and around the playoffs the last sort of two or three seasons as well so they haven't really hit those heights have they however that victory for Halifax has set it up beautifully for Monday hasn't it Tom a game that's going to be live on BT they're already bigging it up I can see uh, on the Saturday two days ahead and I think you'll get the highest viewing figures of the season um, for that on BT, certainly for a National League game. And uh, Tom, I bet, are you going or are you just going to watch it on TV? Yeah, no, I've got a ticket. I am going. So I'm uh, I'm quite excited about that, to be honest. I'm even more excited now. So, yeah, I cannot wait. I was, to be honest, after the full-time whistle went, uh, but I know they were 15 minutes behind, but I want us to play the game there and then because I just feel like the momentum has been handed to us now and, and, and we need to capitalise. And it just couldn't have come at a better time for us. So do you think... The only sort of disappointment may be that because Wrexham have lost, there'll be extra fire in the belly now for them on Monday. Yeah, extra no, nerves as well. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, there'll be, there'll be nerves. There's more pressure. Yeah, true. The, 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 the team that do respond, whenever they do rarely drop points, they seem to respond. And, and um, But I think that might help us in a way. If they come, if they come to, to play us and, and think, oh, we're going to go at them, I think that, that'll, that'll open the game up and... Um, I've been confident all season that we'll, that we'll beat them at their place. I don't know why I just have a feeling, but that's not to say they're not a great side because they are they are brilliant and they could quite easily turn us over on the day. But um, yeah, I'm just really I just couldn't be more excited now about the game because before it was I was nervous myself, but now it's like if we win, it almost because we spoke about the goal difference. Any got any win on 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 Monday doubles. The goal, the difference, in, well, you know, one goal is worth two in effect. So, if it comes down to goal difference, you think that Monday could have. If we win, if we win two by two goals, that's four on the goal difference. So, it makes a massive difference. Yeah, yeah. Specific question for you, Joe. Um, have you churned those results yesterday into the off the line blog computer? Uh, and what's it telling you now? Because I know that. Uh, you looked at all the the games still to come a couple of weeks back, and and that concluded who'd win the title for you. What's it saying now? Well, I, I, at the time I said that I thought Wrexham would win it, um, and you'd have to fancy them at the time to go and win it. Um, I thought they would beat Halifax, but you know, such is the National League and a little bit of form for Halifax. Um, they go and win the game. I I think I actually just messaged Luke to to chip in on this sort of debate on this game. I actually think it's a must win for Wrexham. Um, 
absolute must win. I think if, as we talked about that goal difference, if Notts County go and win on Monday, then they're then three points ahead, albeit having played a game more, but they've got the goal difference as well. So that's that's virtually a point. So I think it's a must win. And from here, I think whoever wins the game on Monday will will go and win it. I think Tom obviously is confident that he thinks Notts County will win. Um, I think it will be close and I would probably sway towards Notts County if I had to put my money on anyone. Um, not that you've ever been known to sway. You've never been known to sway, Joe, have you? <laughs> on with a not at all. <laughs> I, I'm just going to disagree with you very quickly. Sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm hogging it here and I don't mean to. Very quickly, I disagree totally that it's a Wrexham must-win game. It's a must-not-lose game for Wrexham. Uh, if they draw, they'll be level on points with a game in hand and it's still advantage Wrexham. But that's just my take on it. And that game in hand is against Yeovil at home as well. So, I, yeah, I agree with you, Rob. It's probably um, a mustn't-lose for Wrexham. What you will say is, though, Wrexham have had big game experience this season, haven't they? Sheffield United, Coventry. So, they get up for, for the big games. They, they gave um, Stockport a bloody nose last season. But again, they dropped silly points Um at times last season, which meant that it was just too much to catch Stockport. And I know we mentioned it earlier in the season, they drew a lot of games away from home earlier on in the season, Wrexham, didn't they? And how how sort of uh, that might come to prove their undoing, potentially. We never know. Although, big game, you might see Paul Mullin step up. Mullin against Langstaff as well is, is the other subplot to this, isn't it? Yeah, about Langstaff and, and Mullin. And also, there's another point on the goal difference that... If it does, if we do get the win Monday, the reason I'm so confident now, if we do win on Monday, is that they've got to play Boreham Wood and Barnet. And I'm not saying that they're not going to win those games, but I can't see them win those games four five nil. And I know they've got uh, they've got Yeovil who are and Torquay both in the relegation places, but you you fancy us to to if we if we're five six ahead on goal difference with those games to play. I'd, I'd fancy this to um to, to hold on to that. Can I just move quickly to the uh, the battle down at the bottom? And we talked about teams being inspired by the FA Trophy run. I think you can put Gateshead in that bracket. I mean, they've been flying. Then they got to the FA Trophy final last week. The uh, the they brushed aside Yeovil in midweek. They brushed aside Scunthorpe on Saturday. They are six points clear of relegation zone with still two games in hand on most of the teams around them as well. I mean. Talk about putting a run together at the right time. Yeah, absolutely. And I think I said a while back that I thought Gateshead would have a very good chance of getting out of it because they have a clear way of playing. You know, whereas you look at all the other teams at the bottom who just seem to, you know, desperation sort of lump it forward and hope that if something falls to them. Gateshead have a way of playing and as the season's gone on, they've got better and better playing that way. Um, and now they've got a goal scoring Denanga, who's on in brilliant form. Um, yeah, and I, I think Gateshead will finish well clear now at the bottom four. Um, they've got some winnable home games. They had Yeovil obviously in midweek. They had Scunthorpe yesterday, um, and I think they'll be well clear now of the drop. And it's a brilliant season for Gateshead. The fact that they stayed up, which you know they would have come up hoping to be competitive, but that would have been their sole aim this season is stay up and to get to Wembley as well um, it's a, a brilliant season for Gateshead uh, yeah well just quickly on Gateshead well firstly they've done, a, done brilliantly to, to cope with losing their two main strikers uh, and obviously their, their best their main strikers gone on to I wonder where they went to those two uh, yeah they, they dropped off the, the <laughs> no 
Um, done, done pretty well. Um, and I just want to say about their, their goal difference. I, I feel like goal difference often um, can tell a story of a team. Um, of sometimes, you know, you drop points and you're unlucky, but Gates have got minus one goal difference. And in the bottom uh, seven, the next best is minus 14, older shot. So um, you've, you you look at a side there that, that probably are a bit better than where they are on the table and, and they've got games hand and I think they will um I think they'll finish mid table now. Well hopefully because they play some great stuff. And thanks for giving me fresh hope there. I didn't realise all the shots goal difference was better than some of the other teams down there. Thanks Tom. Love you. <laughs> <laughs> and you said all the shot don't score goals, Rob. Well clearly the fact they've got a good defensive record's probably helped hasn't it anyway we'll get onto that very shortly um looking at the playoff battle Yolkin it's because Woking played Darkin there we go and uh, Woking beat Darkin by two goals to one Chesterfield lost 3-1 at home to York City which means which means that Woking are now three points clear of Chesterfield. And they took the lead through Liam Mandeville. Ollie Dyson equalised on half-time. Then Michael Duckworth had them ahead in the 52nd minute before Paddy McLaughlin put the seal on the victory and down at the Surrey Derby. Mark White's in form. Darkin took the lead through Jason Pryor penalty. But then two goals from Rowan Ince in the space of three minutes gave Darren Salside all three points. And Rob, again, big day in the playoff race. Yeah, it was a huge one, wasn't it? And Woking found a way to get the job done, even though they, they didn't apparently play that well. Talking were by far the, the more impressive side on the day. But that is sometimes a sign of a good side, isn't it? That you you ride it out. And um, a, a, a fantastic day for Rohan. It's uh, an absolute worldie of a finish. I think Mark White said it might be a contender for goal of the season. That got them back in it. And uh, it was a closer range effort that got the win for Woking. Um, Dawkins had taken the lead through Jason Pryor's penalty um, and just the only other thing to do was mention a record crowd at uh, Meadowbank uh, a quite staggering 3,732 um, with I think 1,400, 1,400 Woking fans so fantastic occasion for Surrey non-league um, and yeah Dawkins got shaded in that one uh, and Woking continued to uh, to strive forward to you know with with the likelihood that they're strong favourites now to uh, finish in that third place position. Joe, you wanted to come in on that one? Yeah, I was just going to say that, you know, defeat for Dawkins probably puts them back in the mix for the relegation places. Um, you know, I, you know that we've been, you know, Rob's been a big fan of Dawkins this season and saying that they won't go down, but, you know, Dawkins have still got to play Aldershot, um, which is a nightmare for Torquay looking to get out of it. Um the fact that they play each other. But, you know, if Torquay keep playing the way they are and get a couple of results and Dawkins were to lose against Oldershot, then suddenly you think... Is this you saying that Torquay could stay up, Joe? <laughs> no, no, no. I have, uh, I've, not, um, I've not changed my tune in that I think we will go down. Um, but, yeah, I, I think the fact that they are, you know, it's six points, two wins. You know, we've got five or six games left. Um and there's no reason why, you know, Tom talked about goal difference. Well, of those three teams, four teams even, include if you include Yeovil, Dorkin have the worst goal difference. So teams haven't even got to overtake Dorkin. They've only just got to match them by the end. Um, and Dorkin would go down. So I don't think they're out of it yet. Talking of teams in the top seven, only Notts County and Walking did win. 
Uh, Barnet drew with Bromley. Bournemouth lost at home in the late game against Dagenham and Rebbegin. Effiong with the goal there. And Eastley rather surprisingly lost away at Torquay, Joe. Don't sound so surprised, Luke. Every dog has its day. Um, well, you've been making out that a worst team ever, so um, that's that's uh, yeah, that's what, that's why I sounded surprised. Yeah, so a good win for Torquay, two 0 much deserved. Um, defensively, we were good. Um, looks like Gary Johnson has finally got a midfield together, which works. Kevin Dawson was brilliant. Obviously, someone that Dickie will know from the north. Um, he was excellent in midfield. Real leader, talking to everybody. Uh, Tom Lapsley was brought back into the team. Um, and he was his usual pest in the middle. Um, and yeah, Eastley started well. But once we got a goal, they're sort of... All their players seem to be sort of six foot three and above. And when they had to chase the game and start playing some football... Um, they they struggled. And then when we got the second, it was a case of just sitting back and seeing out the, the three points. As we mentioned, Joe, it's, it's looking precarious at the bottom. Maidstone have gone. Scunthorpe have nearly gone, aren't they, after that uh, Gateshead win. Um, but it's all still to play for in those last two relegation spots. I think, uh, Dickie, you mentioned about, can Scunthorpe go on Monday, potentially? I think so. From having had a look at the, the table last night, I think Scunthorpe... Um, have four games remaining, but the gap is 10 points. So they could potentially get 12. Um, but yeah, as, as soon as they, well, if they drop, um, I think if they only draw, um, that would mean the best they could do would be to, to equal uh, the, the, the team in the position that's safe. Um, but yeah, if they lose one of their remaining four, they're gone because the best thing they could get then is nine and they're 10 behind. About the bottom is that a lot of the teams have to play each other still. Um, I know that Scunthorpe will likely be gone by the time they play them, but Oldershot have got Scunthorpe and so have Dorking. And um, I know that Dorking have got quite a few of the teams as well. Um, they've, they've got Gateshead and Yeovil down there as well. So a lot of the teams have to play each other, which, which does make it these four-point gaps a lot closer. That could be an interesting factor if Scunthorpe do actually go as well, because if Scunthorpe do go on Monday and then essentially, you know, their relegation is confirmed, um, how are they then going to perform in the games that they got left in the rest of the season? You know, that there's um, there's nothing really quite so dangerous as a team that don't have anything to lose. Mm-hmm. Um, and if they're already down, you know, they, they might play with the shackles off and that, that could... Um, you know, it's that thing. Teams have still got their pride to play for, haven't they? And it, and and they could be dangerous in that situation. They could go and play at Ilkeston. Now, there's an idea. Why don't you suggest that? Surprised <laughs> no one's come up with that one before now. <laughs> well, we just um, Dicky, but there was a weird sort of week this week at Scunthorpe where they said, "Well, we're going to move the training ground to Ilkeston," and uh, because basically we're having to put players up at Scunthorpe and it's costing us money, to which the supporter, Scunthorpe United Supporter Trust came out and went, well, that's a bad idea. What what are we going to do with Glanford Park during the week? How's it going to make money? To which they then backtracked on the idea, haven't they? Yeah, they have. I, th- I think the, the as you say, you've you've touched on the issues there in that, you know, Scunthorpe were having to accommodate players overnight who don't live that close to Scunthorpe um, in order to be close to the training ground. Um and they've not been able to locate any other training facilities that were good enough. Um, and I believe the training ground must, sounds like it's going to be sold 
Um, so they were going to move to Ilkeston. I presume that comes about as a, a, a result of the relationship that David Hilton has with his former club. But the Iron Trust spoke up, said that they didn't feel that Scunthorpe training so far away would be doing anything to help people's affinity with them as a club. They wouldn't you know, be present in the community, the players really only then being in Scunthorpe on a match day. Um, and, you know, we've got examples of it, of it working elsewhere or, or certainly being employed elsewhere. Barrow trained in Manchester rather than their team going all the way up there. And I know Boston United used to train in Doncaster. Um, but there is that question about, you know, the, the the affinity with the club and the local community and particularly the situation that Scunthorpe's find themselves in the moment. You know, who 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 is Scunthorpe United going to be calling upon to help them get back to where they want to be? The people of the community. And if the people of the community don't feel that they represent Scunthorpe because they never see the players around and they're there just, you know, once a week, sort of guns for hire almost, um, you can see exactly where the Iron Trust are coming from. And, and fair play to Scunthorpe. They've listened to what was said and they've gone back on their decision. Like we mentioned, Glenford Park could be used during the week for functions for, for businesses and that generates money that way. Yeah, I was just going to say, Ilkerson's just down the, down the road from me. It's only 10 minutes. So I have been a few times and they do have um, brilliant facilities. But I have to echo what Dickie said about the, about the community. And I think it's a positive sign for Scunthorpe long term that, that that is possibly the way that, that the owner will take them and the facilities, they are fantastic and they've got a 4G pitch there. Um, and it you know it, it could be a great feature for them. But I think they need to um, not rush into it because, like you say, the community is the most important thing there. And it, it didn't feel right that it moving hours away. It just had a, an off feeling totally altogether. And it, it's good that nothing's off the table in terms of making Scunthorpe viable again. So fair play to, to David Hilton for coming in and looking at that. Um, and, and you also, again, touching on what I said before, credit to him for actually listening. You know, the, the football club is in a difficult situation. They're going to have to make difficult decisions, but they've clearly listened. And that's going to be really important as well. They do need to listen to their supporters because, as I said again, you know, who is it they're going to be calling upon for their support? The supporters. Uh, Rob, another relegation battle, it's fair to say, down at the EBB. Tommy Whittington's first game in charge against Yeovil. Yeah, it was a big crowd in, fantastic following from Yeovil. I can't. I didn't see the actual number, but it's around about five hundred fans, and uh, a lot of them uh, settled themselves down in the pub across the road, the Crimea, which is pretty much known as an all shop pub. But they were welcomed, and uh, yeah, it's a huge opportunity for all shot to pull clear of safety um, and uh, kind of almost last chance saloon for for Yeovil. Um, I was impressed with Yeovil in the first half. They responded very, very well from their. Uh, humiliating defeat up at Gateshead in the week 4-0 um, and they were probably the livelier of the two sides although Aldershot probably had the only two half chances in the first half but in the second half the first 15 minutes the shots were really really on top it must have been a good half-time team talk from Widrington um, and they scored Ollie Harfield back in the side first time in five or six uh, games uh, he sent in a lovely left-footed corner and Tyler Cordner got up we just said, you talk about the commentator's curse, but uh, I had Tyler Frost alongside me who's out injured and we just said that the big man, Cordner, was due another goal uh, and he duly got his seventh goal of the season, a header from the corner, which went in off the underside of the bar. And then the shots 
as you'd hope and want them to do, really look to turn the screw in the next 15 minutes. They forced another three or four corners, but they couldn't quite get a second. And then a really good counter-attacking goal from, from Yeovil, to be fair. And it was the substitute Callum Harriet who finished it. Um, that made it all square. And um, it looked for a long period that it would end that way. Um, but um, all the shot were ordered a penalty on 87 minutes. And Jake Hutchinson, who, uh, of course, has scored 17 goals for Eastbourne and Aldershot this season, he'd come off the bench. He'd scored the last two penalties he'd taken for Aldershot. But uh, sadly for the shots, he blazed this one over the bar, about a good foot and a half over the top uh, right-hand corner as you look at the goal, over the bar and into the East Bank. So a huge opportunity blown for shots. And if I'm really honest, I think Yeovil deserved the point that they got on the day. Um, it was a frustrating start for Tommy Widrington. Um, afterwards, he said uh, that the point was probably better for Aldershot than it was for Yeovil because it kept that five-point differential between them. But before and after the game, I caught up with the BBC Somerset commentator, Sheridan Robbins, who's uh, certainly um, had to really put her best work in in recent weeks with some difficult questions asked of the of the Oval management um, and playing staff. And uh, yeah, here's our chat from before and after the game. Right, forget Notts County and Wrexham on Monday. This is the big one. Aldershot Town against Yeovil and uh, I'm, I'm alongside me is Sheridan Robbins who commentates for BBC Somerset. Most of our listeners will know I commentate for BBC Surrey. Uh, and it's a shame that it's come to this but it, it does almost feel like this is last chance saloon for Yeovil and, and, and Aldershot are really dropping into it as well. It's, uh, it's definitely one of those days for who can perform under pressure, isn't it, right? Yeah, absolutely. I think the words must win are being banded around, but Yeovil have just come off the back of a 4-0 defeat at a game at Gateshead where you would say that was must win. So I think last chance saloon is probably the right amount of um, intensity in what Yeovil have got to achieve. I mean, five points adrift with just six games to play is not how they were hoping to finish this season. And I guess if, if they could get a victory today, it's keeping that dream alive, hosting Dorking on, on Monday, but it does feel like it's a little bit too much for this squad to ask, particularly with that poor performance on Tuesday. From the outside and from quite a long way away in my case and looking in, what can you pinpoint one or two things? I mean, it seemed like there was good news, fresh ownership uh, or uh, what was the word they used? It was Stewardship. Stewardship. Um, and, uh, but it ha- nothing seems to have followed through from that. There has been recruitment, but it's pretty evident from all the interviews that Mark hasn't had the key say in that, has he? Is this where a lot of the issues might lie? Yeah, absolutely. I think there was a lot of excitement about this new stewardship, which, by the way, the deal is not yet done, so they're not yet in charge of the club. Um, they have made signings, and I did an interview with um, Matt Agler, who is one of the uh, people who is very much involved in the takeover and he said that the recruitment trial is going to change at Yeovil Town but it's changed very very quickly indeed and there are a lot of injuries in this Yeovil Town squad. Mark knew that he wanted strikers, he wanted players that could score goals and he's got a striker in on loan from Doncaster who really didn't have the fitness to be able to go up against these National League defenders, not really been anywhere near the squad. A few attacking midfielders where Yeovil seem overrun in that area but if you can't get the service to the to the strikers 
in the final third, you're never going to score the goals that they need to keep them up. So there's definitely a disunity at, at the club, and I think that was very evident from, from the interviews I did with not only Mark Cooper, but Josh Staunton as well, the captain mm. who said, you know, it's affected the dressing room, these new additions that perhaps weren't signed off by the management. You've had a little bit of flat yourself as well, and, and, and as another fellow BBC commentator, I guess, you know, to a certain extent, the blinkers on a little bit and concentrate on what you're doing, don't you? But uh, there's no place uh, for um, you know some of the abuse that goes on, and and we want to call it out on the podcast. Uh, have you got any words that you want to add? Yeah, it's been difficult. It's been a really difficult season, and you know I am a fan. I'm a fan of of the Oval Town. I have been since I was a child. So that adds an ad- added layer and added emotion. Um, and I think, you know, I am one of the very few females in this in this industry, in this division, which always causes a little bit of problems. So, yeah, it's tough. It's tough. I always want to try and do the best I can for the, for the club. But for, you know, my job is to ask the tough questions. And I've, I've tried to do that throughout the season. It's not always been agreed with by a few supporters. But, you know, after Tuesday, to get a lot of positive messages as well. So I just think people need to realise, and, and, and it's the same with players as well who are, you know, trying hard in a, in a deep relegation battle there's humans on the end of it that's what I would say to anyone who is sending sort of abusive social media messages they're human beings on the end of it and it's hard to ignore it and um, you know you can t- get all the praise you want but you always look at the negative messages and it's, it is hard to move on from but it would be amazing if we could see it see it over the line and, and perhaps those abusive messages to both of the players the management me would perhaps stop well keep doing what you're doing and I hope Sincerely, Sheridan, that somehow, some way, both of us are commentating for our clubs in the National League again next year. But I have a feeling, looking at the league table, it may only be one of us that stays up. It does feel like that, doesn't it? I mean, it's so, so tough down there. And it feels like we're the two teams that aren't picking up form. Everyone else around us seems to be scoring goals. And... Um, yeah, both of us are just struggling to, to get those results together. But, I mean, I'm looking over the, across it. I want to shot now. The amount of Yeovil Town fans that have travelled today is quite remarkable. So if they could get the result today, just to keep it alive for a few more games, that would be quite something. Yeah, and credit to those Yeovil fans. I parked my car up about half past one today and I heard them in unison singing in the local pub across the road to Crimea, which is an Aldershot home pub. But they took it. Fair play to them. And, and Aldershot fans support it supporters took it in good spirit as well uh, let's hope for a good game and all the best uh, from here on in thank you good luck Sheridan it's ended one all um, all sorts going on at the end there all the shot being given a slightly contentious penalty and then blazing it over the bar and Yeovil not being given one and mm. in the end it's ended uh, even do you think Yeovil were worth that point Oh, absolutely. I think it would have been a travesty if Yeovil hadn't got something from the game, particularly with how they reacted to going 1-0 down. There was a sort of five-minute spell where their heads dropped so much and you just feared that Aldershot were going to go on and, and score a couple more goals. But a wonderful team goal, I must say. We haven't scored in three and a half games and it's, it was a wonderful goal. Matt Worthington with a lovely ball through to Callum Harrier and that really buoyed the, the squad. Um, the penalty, I mean, I thought it was a penalty on first look. Um, possibly the worst penalty I've ever seen. It was quite shocking. Um, but, you know, sometimes you need that little bit of luck, don't you? And unfortunately, you didn't get the penalty at the other end, which I think if that one's a penalty, then probably that one's a penalty too. But it's, it's a better point for Oldershot than it is for, for Yeovil. It's going to be a really tough slog um, to be able to, to stay up. But I guess the only thing I'm holding on to is got Dorking on Monday and if you can tighten that that gap with four games to go the dream's alive
obviously the, the there's still a bit of a fuss around um Tommy Widrington's appointment, more so from um Stephen Cleave at Kingsley, and I know he I think he tweeted towards the end of um the week, something like Thursday, saying that he believed that there was clear evidence um of um I'm not quite sure what words are used, but I'm not sure wrongdoing would be the right thing, but basically suggesting that there was a case there for, you know, seeking compensation from from Aldershot. So it looks like that one might rumble on a, a little bit. Um, but, um, yeah, he's in situ now, so that's that's not going to change. So it's, it is really is just about, you know, sorting out the, the differences between the two clubs. There's just a little bit of he said, he said going on here. So just to, to outline what the differences are, I think Cleve is very clearly saying that after the game at Chorley last week, uh, Widrington came up to him and said, um, "You know, I'm, 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 you know, I'm resigning. Um, I'm going to take up the position at Aldershot, and uh, all in kind of one sentence, that kind of scenario." Um, whereas I think if you look at the account coming the other way, Widrington says that he walked in and he said, "I can't do this anymore. I'm resigning." And then the next day, he took the Aldershot Town job. What is clear and nobody's disputing is that Tommy Widrington has said that if there's any compensation to be paid for his lack of notice, then he will pick it up personally. That's clear. That's evident. Um, And I don't know, but I would think if I was the Aldershot Town Chairman, that that would be the terms in which I've made him the offer of the Aldershot Town job, that he's tendered his resignation uh, and says he's liable and prepared to pay any compensations due. OK, so the other two games in the National League both finished in draws. It was a good comeback for Altrincham. They came from 2-0 down and a man down to draw with Oldham. They left it late as well. Last five minutes, Maxiola Daly with the first goal back and then Tyree Sinclair with the equaliser after Joe Nuttall had put Oldham ahead and then Sambu. Asala Sambu had given him a 2-0 lead and Solihull Moors and Maidenhead played out a 1-1 draw. Yeah, just to say that um, Maidenhead scored their level in the 90th minute. So, uh, you know, that would have been really, really disappointing for Solihull Moors who've kind of clawed their way back a little bit lately, haven't they? They, uh, you know, they were well out of form and they dropped right away from those playoff positions and it's obviously going to be a big ask for them now. But uh, they did think that they were on... uh, three points as they approached the 90-minute mark yesterday. Um, that would have taken them to 58. They'd have been six points off the playoffs. It still would have been um, unlikely. But now the gap is eight. And uh, I think that uh, we can probably just about write off everyone from Solihull Moors down now uh, in the race for the playoffs. Yeah, I was just going to come up. We didn't touch on it at the time when we spoke about the Chesterfield-York um, result. Um, but I wanted to say what what a big result that was for York coming off the back of another one on Monday evening when they beat Barnet um, 1-0 at home. I think that game had moved to the Monday because it should have been the FA Trophy tie on the weekend. And, and obviously, in terms of geographical location, I got the feeling that Barnet probably stopped up and then you know, stopped at York on the way back home and played the game on the Monday evening. All played against the backdrop of of further um, problems at York around the ownership and the fact that um, uh, Glenn Henderson has um, saying he's willing to listen to offers for his shares, but there seem to be a lot of conditions on that. Um, that the fact that the supporters trust have had to step in or stated that they had to step in to in order to pay wages this month because Mister Henderson. Um, 
wouldn't do so because we were close to the deadline that he'd given for a sale. Uh, I believe that they thought they had a buyer that's fallen through and it's all got very, very messy again at York City, uh, unfortunately. I think so for the, the, the team to pull out two really important wins on the, the back of that, perhaps even possibly slightly inspired by that, um, it is a really good response from them. Cracking finish from Ollie Dyson for the first goal there that pulled the scores level. Uh, and then uh, a little bit of cheeky opportunism as well on the uh, second goal after the uh, Chesterfield goalkeeper was um, well out of his goal and it was uh, lifted back towards goal from about 40, 45 yards. Um, yeah, York coming nicely into form and they joined that little cluster of clubs. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to group them here with, uh, with Halifax. Uh, with Maidenhead a few weeks back, Oldham and Gateshead, who all have had worries about relegation this season and all have put those worries to bed over the last month or two. Yeah, it was just a quick mention for, for Tari Sinclair. I think it was um, obviously he missed a decisive penalty against Halifax in the trophy. And I think it was nice for him to get on the score sheet, um, ultimately with an 89th minute equaliser against Oldham. So I think it was just a nice moment for him for in a week where possibly a very difficult week in his young professional career and um, turn it around with a, with a late equaliser. And he's had a really good season as well since joining alone from Rochdale at Altrincham. Um, it'd be interesting to see in the summer whether he stays with Rochdale or, or if Altrincham can pick him up on a permanent. Yeah, it's nice to see that from Altrincham, you know, the response to that disappointment and coming from a 2-0 deficit as well. Um, if you haven't seen it, there's a lovely photograph going around that was taken of Altrincham's goalkeeper, Ollie Byrne, at the end of that <laughs> semi-final last weekend, giving his gloves to a young fan um, who was in tears and, and essentially standing in front of him and saying, you know, get your chin up, we go again. And and, and it's such a, a, a terrific photograph. It speaks volumes. Uh, there was a lovely... Um, I think um, response from Bill Waterson, the chairman as well, um, to to the events and basically saying that, you know, this is just clearly we're disappointed, but this is just a a step along the path that we're on. Um, So, yeah, terrific from Altrincham this week, I think. Southend, they've got back-to-back wins now. They beat Maidstone by two goals to nil. Two interesting scorers on the score sheet as well, Joe. Yeah, uh, a really good season for both of them, um, for Southend. Uh, Obviously, the wing-backs and... Especially, you know, you, Tom said about how Adam Chickson has become this sort of goal-scoring wing-back. I think the same can be said for Bridge. You know, always been a player that's shown that he's a good player, but not added the end product to his game. And this year he has. Um, so, yeah, I saw something yesterday that um, the goalkeeper for, for South has now got 16 clean sheets this season. Um, so brilliant for, for them. And, and they've been two key components of that back line for Southend. Oh yeah, well I'm a big fan of both both wing backs, and um, it'd be interesting to see if we if we reignite interest for for Jack Bridge. Um, but uh, obviously he's clearly had a very very good season, and we were obviously clearly interested in him. But I, I'm possibly an even bigger fan of Scott Morris, just just like just like Joe is. Um, I think he's a fantastic player. You know, Joe's a massive fan, so uh, I, I wouldn't steal him too much there. But I think he's he's a great great player too. Joe's that bigger fan of Gus Scott Morris. He actually went up and got a photo of him after the England Sea game as well. He was he was fanboying over him, weren't you, Joe? Yeah, well, that's that was my sort of takeaway from the weekend. Obviously, I got to meet you lot, but I obviously got to meet Gus Scott Morris as well. So Gus, Gus Scott Morris follows the off the line blog. He's like, There's Joe from Off the Line Blog. Can I get my photo with you, Joe? <laughs> well well, Tom, I know you've got a shoot off. Thanks for joining us. 
No worries. Cheers, cheers for having me on, guys. And um, like I say, I'm, I'm a listener. I, I give you a five star on the on Spotify. So we're going to move on and look at the National League North. And, and just before we started recording, Dicky news broke from Brackley, didn't it? Didn't it? Yeah, it did. Um, and I guess it comes off the back of uh, the game I was at. Uh, Brackley have um, parted company with manager Roger Johnson, who only took over in early October after they sacked Kevin Wilkin. Um, Brackley on a, a pretty ropey runner form at the moment. I think it's only one win in their last 11. Um, they're not going to finish any higher than uh, fourth in the table now. They'd be pretty close to Chester, but this run of form's done for any chances of of getting into the uh, the top three. Um, and yeah, and I think just the form and the fact that they they lost two one yesterday to uh, an already relegated FC Telford United side um, as as probably done for Roger Johnson. Unfortunately, it probably didn't help that the former Brackley manager Kevin Wilkin was there with Telford. Um, received a very, very warm reception from the home fans who some of them were actually chanting Kevin Wilkins' Red and White Army. Um, and, you know, it's put an awful lot of pressure onto Roger Johnson. I do have some sympathy with him. It's his first managerial job. Um, he must have thought he was walking into a club that was quite stable and, and is quite stable. Um, but, yeah, it's it, 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 after a really, really good start for them, it's fallen away quite badly recently. And I think Brackley very conscious of the fact that they could lose their playoff place, which is somewhere they've been season after season, um, have decided to take action. He's gone. Uh, Gareth Dean, their central defender, who's uh, currently injured, so wouldn't be playing anyway. He's taking over for the last few games of the season in the hope that they can keep themselves in those playoff places. Dick, it's interesting that they've actually pointed someone then who knows how to lose in the playoffs. Well, yeah, I mean, we, it certainly it, that that is an, an accusation that can be levelled at Brackley, and and I suppose ultimately that probably was what did for Kevin Wilkin at Brackley eventually, in that they they were perennially the bridesmaid. They'd lost in a playoff final, semi-finals. There was a little bit of regression in terms of their playoff progress. Um, but it was a thing of they were consistently in the playoffs. So I almost sort of, whether that makes Kevin Wilkin the non-league Arsene Wenger in that, you know, they were constantly finishing fourth and then eventually the fans think that finishing fourth isn't good enough um, and make a change and, and it, it doesn't work out, you know. So, um, yeah, it, it's 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 a difficult one for them. I mean, it's a, it's a nice club. It's a, there's a lot of really good people involved at Brackley town. Um, and uh, yeah, it would be really disappointing for them to, to, to lose their playoff place this late in the season. But, um, that's clearly what the fear is. And, uh, yeah, Gareth Dean's been around. He's been a central figure in that Brackley team. So I think they're obviously hoping that he might be able to inspire, uh, the group that they've got there just enough to get them over the line. And as a quirk of fate as well, Dick, it, it was Brackley who helped relegate Telford because they lost at Farsley on Tuesday. Yes, it was. Yeah, Telford fate was confirmed on Tuesday night with, with Farsley beating Brackley 2-1. Um, a winner from Frank Mulhern, I think it was, uh, after Brackley had equalised. Brackley equalised through Shetmer and Bedsy. They then had him dismissed late on in the game as well. Um, so, yeah, that 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 the, there was a little bit of... Um, 
there, there's so many links um, between the clubs. I mean, it was a win over Telford that was Kevin Wilkins' last ever victory as Brackley Town manager, and one I think they thought had bought him a little bit more time, but then he was sacked two days later. What happened yesterday again between Brackley and Telford, and within 24 hours, the Brackley manager has lost his job again. So there must be just something about that fixture that 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 does for managers at St James Park, unfortunately. But uh, yeah, Telford are looking at life at step three now. Kevin Wilkin has confirmed he's staying on as Telford manager, so that's been a really big boost for them. Um, but yeah, it's all about what happens next at Telford now. Yeah, um, only that I, I I text my my mate. Uh, earlier this morning after the news uh, came of uh, Roger Johnson leaving uh, Brackley um, and he said it was long overdue uh, his actual words were thank God for that um, apparently he said that the mood at the club is very very negative he said his recruitment has been very poor um, and he's got you know tactically he's shown that he perhaps as you would expect doesn't have the sort of experience and know-how of a Kevin Wilkin Um and yeah, it's interesting to see who they go for um, in the summer um, because, as Dickie said, Brackley have been in and around the playoffs season after season. And you think, well, surely you need someone now that can sort of take them over the line uh, to finally get promoted. So, yeah, it'd be interesting. There were a lot of negative comments yesterday while we were there. And, and as I say, it really can't have helped Roger Johnson that, that Kevin Wilkin was in the other dugout received such a warm reception and then saw his team go and win 2-1. Brackley had about a 15-minute spell um, where they looked dangerous and they took the lead. Telford missed a penalty within a minute of that 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 could have levelled it. Martin Woods had put them ahead. Coy Williams missed a Telford penalty. Um, But it was a penalty from Byron Moore and from Telford round about the hour mark that got them back into it. And then Montel Gibson with a winner from a free kick. And and I think the biggest or the, the, the most concerning thing for me, um, not that it's necessarily for me to be concerned about Brackley, um, was that normally to go and win a Brackley Town and go a goal down to Brackley Town, that would normally be the death knell. You know, you were if you're a goal down to Brackley, you could pretty much write off your chances of getting anything. But they looked very, very ineffectual yesterday. They didn't seem to be um uh, you could tell they were a side that was struggling, um, and yeah, to come from from a goal down and, and win there was just just unheard of, uh, particularly for a Telford side that's been so poor this season. So you know, it probably was a yardstick for for where Brackley are that you know Telford had gone and won there, and that's that's ultimately what's done for him. And also, what happens in the title race because we're back to just two points with failed losing away at Spennymore after having taken the lead in that one. I know Jason Ainsley was full of praise for his side. And then Kings Lynn, who confirmed their caretaker duo this week, they had a big win against Kettering. Yeah, they did. Uh, something that was beginning to look like it was over, um, i.e. the title race in the north, suddenly looks interesting again. Um, filed, were ahead in that game yesterday uh, away at Spennymoor. They led through Joe Rowley scoring in the 64th minute um, and probably rightly felt that they were on course for the three points there. But um, I'm going to wax lyrical about him again because I might not get many more chances on this podcast with Telford's relegation. Glenn Taylor, Um Steps up once again, two goals for Spennymore. I do 
say week after week that he is the best number nine in the division and what on earth filed were doing not marking him at a corner for the equaliser I have no idea if you just see the footage of it he, he literally walks in from the penalty spot and heads into the net and nobody picks him up and and honestly it Fylde almost deserved what happened to them for ignoring him in the penalty area there. He then got the winner in the 89th minute. Um, and yet it's made it very, very interesting again with, uh, with Kingsland having a thumping 4-1 home victory over Kettering yesterday. Uh, always in control of that game. Uh, goals from Ben Stevens, two from Goldo Mateo, the second one a penalty. Adam Crowther adding the fourth and yeah, a, a late consolation to from Dakari Sheriff for Kettering. They're not out of the relegation woods yet either. Um, goal scoring's been their big problem. They did manage to to find one yesterday, but the four that went in at the other end were a much bigger problem. Charlie gave their playoff hopes a boost. They drew nil-nil at Chester, who will feel it's maybe two points dropped, do you think? I think so, possibly. I mean, I I, had, I looked at this one yesterday morning and thought to myself, I'm, I'm very conscious of the fact that Chorley have, have, have slipped a little bit out of the playoff picture uh, of late. You know, they lost at home in a controversial fashion to Kingsley in the week before. Uh, and I did did think that that probably was more likely to be a Chester victory yesterday, but Chorley are notoriously hard to break down. It's a reasonable point for them. Um, but they probably need a little bit more than that now if they're really going to get themselves back into uh, the playoffs properly. Yeah, just below them, uh, Brackley are in, in fourth still, so not all doom and gloom for them. In fifth are Darlington, who had an eventful nil-nil draw away at Blythe. Uh, Alpherton are in sixth. They won 2-1 at Peterborough Sports. And Scarborough, they lost again at home to Curzon, Ashton, so really, really tight. All those teams, Darlington, Alfreton and Scarborough, all on 63. It's getting exceptionally tight. And I think with that in mind, that that's probably another factor in the, in the, in the Brackley decision. You look how close it is back there. Um, Darlington probably would have been hoping for more uh, away to Blythe Spartans, but Blythe have improved lately and they really need the points at the bottom of the table as well. They had Finn Cousin Dawson sent off in the fourth minute of injury time, Blythe, so he's going to serve a suspension. That's not uh, particularly helpful to them. Alfreton have got themselves up into the playoff places off a really, really good run of form. They had a 2-1 win away at Peterborough Sports. Uh, yesterday, Jordan Croft put Peterborough Sports into the lead. He's on loan from Boston United. But um, replies from Dale Southwell, who got it back to one each at half time, and then the inevitable Matt Reed goal from Alfreton in the second half um, gave them uh, the, the lead. I mean, we, uh, just touching on Peterborough Sports as well, I know there's been some. Um, Discussion, dare I even say controversy this week over the fact that Peterborough Sports have been given an extension um, to the, the 31st of March deadline around the ground grading about getting their um, their, their home sorted out for, for, for next season. Um, I think they've been able to successfully make a claim that um, it's due to the change of ownership that's taken place recently. Um, that they are somewhat behind with the works, but they have started and that they will be done and they've been granted an extension. It's not gone down particularly well with teams um, uh, towards the bottom of the table who I wouldn't say were necessarily counting on Peterborough Sports missing the deadline, um, but have got their own stories of, well, we weren't granted extensions when we had to do work. Um, you know, if they've been granted an extension, um, what's going on here? You know, how come that, 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 
race wasn't given to us. So a little bit of a can of worms. It is unfortunate that the teams making those kind of protests do seem to be the likes of Kettering and Lamington, who are down towards the bottom of the table and scrapping for their lives. Um, you know, if they were mid-table, would they care so much? Maybe they wouldn't. But uh, yeah, it, it's just another interesting subtext that's going on at the moment. Um, just coming back to those playoff positions, yeah, I mentioned Scarborough. Um, they had a, a, a 1-0 uh, away or they lost another oh, one in midweek sorry at peterborough sports that was a really important result for them um because they hadn't picked up a win in a while but to uh, lose at home to curzon ashton yesterday wasn't the way that they would have wanted to rebound from that one and you know i've I've had my fears at scarborough we're going to drop out of the playoff places and it could still happen yeah well it looks like you know, Curzon might have just found a little bit of form at just the right time. Um, obviously, a win yesterday against Scarborough, who have the last playoff place. Um, and they've got two games in hand on all the four teams above them. Um, and if they win those two games in hand, granted, it's not, um, you know, easy to do that. They'll actually be level on points with Scarborough in seventh. So they uh, they could be a late outsider for the playoffs. A, a playoff position for Kurs Nashen would be absolutely sensational. They punch above their weight. They are disrespected hugely by fans of other teams because they don't enjoy that greater support. But, you know, goodness me, they are a, a team that continually defies expectations. And, and to get a playoff position for them would be, you know, the, the icing on the cake for Adam Lakeland, I would have thought. Gloucester will feel it's a missed opportunity, won't they, with those teams above them not being able to when they could only drop 1-1 at home to Banbury, who've taken four points now from their last two away games. Yeah, Banbury really needed something, to be perfectly honest, because their form's been poor, they've been slipping, um, and it wasn't looking great for them when Kieran Phillips gave Gloucester the lead after just two minutes yesterday, but they were back on level terms by half-time. Tom Costello with a goal there. Uh, Dara Dada was then sent off in the second half for Gloucester, um, possibly harming their chances of, of going on and trying to claim all three points from that game. Um, I would think a point's definitely more satisfying for Banbury than Gloucester out of that game. Ty, at the bottom, are we saying that Hereford are probably safe on 50? Maybe one more win will do it. Kettering are just below them four points below them as our Farsley, who've been on a good run, but that came to a shuddering halt at Boston, who were flying up the table now and are definitely safe on 52. Yeah, I do think Boston have made themselves safe. Um, you know, Farsley's 2-1 um, win the other night, it did uh, help to fill the first of the relegation spots, but they're certainly not out of the woods. They would have hoped for, for better than what they got yesterday at Boston United, because what they got was an absolute tonking in the end. Um, goals from uh, Billy Chadwick, three of them. He's been a fabulous loan signing for, for Boston and Jake Wright scoring in the 69th minute. Um, that's set up a, a, a real humdinger at the bottom of the table um, on Monday between Blythe, Spartans and Farsley at uh, the Citadel in West Yorkshire. Um, I, I think that was the game that some people were feeling had already... Telford were already relegated as a result of that because whatever the result of that, it was going to give somebody enough points to to be so far ahead that Telford couldn't recover. Um, but And now, well, it, it's a massive game for both of those sides. Um, and given form, I think I'd probably just favour Farsley. But Boston have got a, uh, sorry, uh, Blythe have got a really good fighting spirit about them. So, yeah, who knows? It's all in the melting pot. Yeah, vital win as well for Bradford Park, haven't you, wasn't it? Winning by two goals to nil. 
Yeah, it was. I know Telford were, were harbouring uh, the, the idea that, that it would be nice to at least climb to 23rd place in the league, even if you're going to get relegated. Um, obviously winning at Brackley and then Bradford Park Avenue beating Southport by two goals to nil. They're not absolutely out of it yet. Uh, there were goals from Lewis Colton and then Miles Labastide scoring the, the second for them. Both goals in the second half, a really, really important win there. And an important win for Lemington as well. Um, they've um, been um, found themselves in, in relegation trouble, but goals from um, Ollie Hulbert in the first half and then Liam Cross in the second half gave them a 2-0 win over Hereford side, who essentially, I think they are safe. You did ask whether they were. I think they are, but they do look like they're treading water a bit now under temporary management, just waiting for the summer to get here so that they can appoint a new manager and, and make a fresh start. Yeah, and the final game was with Kidderminster scoring after just 38 seconds against Buxton, bringing the end to Buxton's long unbeaten run. Buxton who were still above Kidderminster, though. Yes, they are. It, it was a, a, a an important, well, an important win for Kidderminster. Yes, I'll say that. I, just, I don't think Kidderminster are going to be um, making a late run for the playoffs. Unfortunately, I think their form's been um, too patchy, and I think this result has has possibly. Um, taking away the chances of Buxton making that late run into the playoffs, which I know their unbeaten run looked like it was perhaps setting them up for. Um, I think that ended at, at, at in this, well, it was 15 games unbeaten going into to yesterday. But yeah, Ashley Hemmings with a goal really, really early on. Um, again, I think for Kidderminster, it's probably a case of getting to the summer and resetting. And whether that involves Russ Penn as manager still, I'm not sure. I know that a number of Kidderminster fans feel uh, that perhaps a change will be needed there. Um, I think Buxton, they can safely consolidate You know, in this league now. They're promoted. They were in trouble at one point. They're going to be safe and they can go ahead with their planning for next season too. We've got to look at the National League South next. It's amazing what a difference small, simple changes can make, especially when it comes to your weight. Getting started is easier than you think with the free NHS weight loss app. It helps you to take those simple steps to lose those extra pounds. Download the free app today. Better health. Let's do this. In the National League South, it is a massive congratulations to Ebsley. They are the first team to be promoted out of the National League across the three divisions. Uh, they did a good 3-0 win. It was that man, Dominic Polian, with a hat-trick. And I know Dickie mentioned it needed Darford to drop points. Well, it was immaterial, but Darford did drop points as well. They they lost 2-1 away at Eastbourne Borough, so Ebsfleet thoroughly deserved champions in the end, Joe. Yeah, and, you know, they've been the sort of champions-elect for a long, long time. Um, by far and away the best team. Uh, in this division, and potentially they could end up as the best team that we've ever seen uh, in the National League South. Um, you know, they've still got some records to be break to, to, to try and break uh, between now and the end of the season. Dominic Pullin himself, obviously, he scored a hat trick yesterday. He could break a record himself. Um, the scoring record uh, with Dave Tarpey currently holds it, I think, in his eight more, which the way that he's playing, you wouldn't put it past him. 
Um, so, yeah, really, really good for Ebsfleet. Um, you know, they took a risk in Dennis Kutrieb. Obviously, they missed out last season in the playoff final to Dorking. But, um, yeah, they're back in the National League. Um, a really uh, amazing stat um, in that Dominic Polian, obviously 36 goals for Ebsfleet this season. And he's failed to find the back of the net in 22 of them uh, this season. So he scored these 36 goals in only 20 games. Um, you know, he scored a hat-trick on the weekend. He seems that whenever he gets one, he usually then gets goes and gets two or three. And he's even scored four in one game. Um, so, yeah, really good season. And he has been the best player in the division by a country mile uh, this season. So it's only right that he's the man to, to get them the, the title. And just to say, and Rakesh Bingham alongside him as well has chipped in with a lot of goals as well. I saw him play in the National League South playoff final last year and was very impressed with him, his strength, his hold-up play. Um, and, and and he's the sort of player I looked at at the time enviously and thought that's the kind of striker that, that, that Shots would want to sign. Obviously, he ended up signing Effie Young and we know what's happened there. But um, I would imagine if, uh, as Ebbsfleet come up, they keep hold of those two first and foremost and um, you know, strengthen where they feel they need to strengthen. Then they, you know, compared to perhaps the teams that have come up this season from the South and the North, um, I think they could make a real fist of it next season at uh, National League level. Yeah, and it's no no mean feat either beating Oxford City by three goals to nil, Joe, because they're going really well, Oxford City, and that'll have dented their playoff ambitions a little bit. Um, A, a little bit. I think, you know, Ebbsfleet are a good side. Um, you know, some some really, really good sides have got beat well off of Ebbsfleet. I think Worthing, was it? They conceded seven or eight against Ebbsfleet earlier in the season and Worthing are a good team. So, um, yeah, o- Oxford City will be um, obviously disappointed, but it just goes to show how good um, Ebbsfleet are this season. The fact that they win the title, beating a very good side themselves in Oxford City 3-0, um, so, yeah, a fitting win for Ebsfleet. And I think Oxford City will still regroup. And in fairness, out of all the teams in the playoffs, my money would be on Oxford City to go and win it. Interesting. And Eastbourne, they gave their playoff hopes a massive boost with that win over Dartford. They're just outside the playoff spots by one point because Worthing, they're still in there. They won 7-0, a remarkable win for Worthing 7-0 over Concord, who are bottom. And it was interesting to see those three different scorers who scored a brace on Saturday. And, uh, yeah, none of them got to take on the match ball in the end. No, um, you know, they'd perhaps be disappointed the fact that they all got to, that they couldn't, you know, the the last nine minutes, they'd have all been going, chomping at the bit, trying to get one more to get the hat-trick ball. Um, you know, three strikers in, in Ollie Pierce, Ibia Kambi and David Rodari, who all should be playing higher. Ibia Kambi and David Rodari obviously have. Um, uh, but yeah, a really good win for Worthing. Um, you know, we know what they're capable of on their day and against the Concord Rangers side who will be going down uh, likely. So, yeah, a, a really good win for Worthing. Adam Hinchelwood said that he wanted his team to come out on the front foot and stop using going behind as an excuse to finish well. And uh, he'd have certainly been pleased at halftime. Yeah, and a really big result for Braintree winning 2-0 away at St Albans. I noticed Barris was on the score sheet again. Yeah. Um, a good win for Braintree. Funny enough, it looks like 
you know, we I talked a couple of weeks ago about how Taunton were the team to beat at home, that no one beat them at home. And then they lost and they started losing all their games at home. Braintree, it's a bit the same in that they've started losing already all their games. And yet suddenly now they're strong on the road, having been so good at home. Um, so, yeah, a really good win for Braintree. Um, you know, a clean sheet on the road. And, uh, yeah, a good win for them to consolidate their, their playoff spot. Interesting game between Chelmsford and Farnborough. Farnborough just slipping a little bit now. That is their second defeat in a row. Um, but Chelmsford in a good spot, aren't they, Rob? Yeah, going nicely. And, um, well, you guys will know, and perhaps some of the listeners, that I'm very good friends with the Winfield family. Um, and, uh, obviously, Dave used to play for Aldershot back in the day. Um, he's had his troubles this season, hasn't he? He was uh, commanding earlier in the season, Chelmsford, uh, you know, eking out a lot of 1-0 wins, but uh, he got sent off a while back. But uh, it's not often we see his name on the score sheet. And uh, he did get the first goal yesterday. And uh, his dad, John, a good friend of mine, always used to have a bet on Dave to get the first goal in a game. Often he'd get 40-1 to 1 on him. Um, but apparently they don't. a lot of bookies don't accept bets below the National League. So uh, he wasn't on him yesterday. Um, uh, John also said that... Um, he uh, he smacked it in. He's wearing a mask at the moment. He fractured his cheekbone in three places about a month ago. Um, going up for a header as usual, he said uh, they had a clash of heads. And normally our Dave, uh, uh, he said normally uh, they come off worse. But on this occasion, it was the other way around. You can't win them all. But uh, yeah, it was uh, it was Dave Winfield who put Chelms for the head um, against Farm. Uh, sorry, levelled. I beg your pardon. Um, against Farnborough. Mason Bloomfield with another couple of goals there. He's been really prolific, hasn't he, at Farnborough? But in the uh, 54th minute, Michael Folivi, or Folivi, if you want to say it that way, uh, got a leveller. And then there was a crushing blow for Farnborough in the 90th minute when uh, Chelmsford um, got a third and a winner. And, uh, you know, it's quite a battle. Both of those sides know that they're in a battle still to, uh, you know, to make those playoffs and... Uh, for Farnborough, well, I'm not going to say they've got too much to do. They're only three points off it, aren't they? But uh, Chelmsford have really now cemented their place in the playoffs, haven't they, Joe? Uh, you know, with, with with a good run of late. Yeah, I mean, you know, they're two teams that I expect to be in and around it. Um, you know, certainly for what budget Chelmsford have got, for them to be competed in and around the playoffs is really, really good um, and for them. And the players they've lost and moved on as well. Yeah, absolutely. And the fact that, um, you know, Robbie Simpson has had to, I suppose it's a unique model in this league in that, you know, he's had to use a lot of young players from the academy. Um, you know, he's had to use them and fight, sign one or two experienced players like your your Dave Winfields and your, uh, your Liam Trotters. Um, and yeah, they're doing really, really well. Um, so whatever happens this season, they'll be really pleased. Um and, uh, yeah, good good result. And just a little footnote on that as well. Um, they are now favourites, Chelmsford, although they're in fourth place to finish third because there's not many games left. Um, they're on the same points as Oxford City in third and they have a game in hand. So, um, if they get if they match Oxford's results in each of their last four games, but in that extra one they get at least a point, then, uh, then Chelmsford could take that third position and my question to you would be, Joe, would you still fancy Oxford City to win the playoffs 
if they had to play an eliminator first uh, and then play somebody away from home? Um, I, I would, only because that all of the teams in there, um, I think Oxford City are probably the best attacking. So they've got the better match winners at Oxford City. You know, the likes of Alolos, who's got 20, and Josh Parker, who, you know, for him to still be playing in this league, I mean, he's played, he's won promotion at Wembley with Charlton. Um, he's got loads of goals this season. Um, so I would fancy them. But that that's what I find so good about the the National League South this year is I'd actually make a case for any of the teams in the playoff. I know that sounds like a bit of a, a cop-out, but there's so many teams in there that I'd make a case for. You know, you look at Dartford, Alan Dowson's won the playoffs before. You look at um, Oxford City and Worthing that play lovely football and score lots of goals. You've got the likes of Chelmsford, who are physical side. Um, and St Albans have got Sean Jeffers, um, you know, who, who scores a lot of goals. So I think it would be close. Um, and I don't think there's any one standout, but my my money would still be on Oxford City. And Chelmsford don't do draws either, only eight this season, whereas Oxford City do. They've had 14. Uh, having at Waterloo, well, their really poor end to the season continues. They're now out of the playoff places. They're in ninth. And only Concord have got a worse record than them over the last five games. They drew 2-2 at home to Weymouth, which is a big point for Weymouth. Yeah, and to get it in the final minute as well. Um, you know, there won't be, not to be sniffed at, um, ex-Torquay lad. Uh, Keelan O'Connell getting the goal for that. Well, two ex talky lads, James Roberts, getting two goals for having a Waterlooville. Um, I saw uh, Dickie smiling there because I know what he was thinking of. Brad Ash on the score sheet again. <laughs> one of them scores. You know, it's either Brad Ash or Akeem Rose. Um, safe as houses that one of them will score. And for two strikers to be doing so well, and for especially Ash to be on twenty goals, there'll be teams in the in the National League next year that'll be looking at him. Uh, you know, for for his season, um, yeah, I haven't. Well, I haven't a clue what's going on, to be honest. And um, you know, they they just they just don't seem on it this season in terms of the not just the team, but the, the way that they're run, the feeling. You know, you you look at an Ebb's fleet and that, and they've got that promotion feeling, but haven't just seems a little off this year. And um, Jamie Collins has got lots of work to do in the summer. Down at the bottom, a big result for Slough, Rob, wasn't it? Um, a huge win over Chippenham, which puts them seven points clear now of the drop zone. Yeah, that and, and, and improves their goal difference a little bit as well, certainly over teams like Dulwich, Chesant, Weymouth. Um, and, and, and a really special feat yesterday for George Alexander, who's on loan from uh, Bromley. Um, because I'm not sure if anyone's done this before. Has a player that's on loan from another team. He scored a hat-trick when he was at Welling on loan, and now he's gone one better in this game. He got four goals. The first four goals of the game, all within the first 64 minutes. Uh, the son, of course, of uh, former uh, Millwall player Gary Alexander, and that's where he came from too. Um, so, uh, yeah, well done, George Alexander, who seems to be um, set on proving to Bromley that he is good enough to play for them. Um, there's no better way to do it, is the um, terrific win for Slough, and I think the biggest win by far for Scotty Davis since he took over. Uh, and perhaps you know the, the more remarkable that um, it's against Chippenham, who uh, 
are a bit of a streaky side, aren't they, this year? They were pushing right up towards those playoffs and falling away again uh, now, Joe, haven't they? But um, what a feat for George Alexander. Yeah, and, uh, you know, when we had Scott Davis back on the pod, you know, earlier in the season, um, the one thing he said um, to me in private and and spoke uh, since then publicly is he knew that he had a good squad at Slough. You know, even at the start of the season when they were struggling, they said he had a good squad. The one thing they missed was a goal scorer. They had no one to put it in the back of the net. Um, and, you know, it looks like that they may have just found their goal scorer at just the right time of the season when they need it. Um, so, yeah, a really good win for them. And um, I'm pleased for Scott. Perhaps he's done a really good job there. Down at the bottom, there's a huge game between Dulwich and Chesson, and Dulwich came out the right side of it, a win by a goal to nil, which puts them above Chesson now and out of the relegation zone. Yeah, a massive win. Um, and, you know, it would have been scrappy, no doubt. Um, the sort of game where you just have to win. Um, and, yeah, Dulwich got it. Hacking her reds in, big win. Um, and a clean sheet for once, which is uh, makes a change for Dulwich. Uh, for them to have a clean sheet. Um, so, yeah, a really good win uh, and a much-needed win for them. Um, and, you know, I think you looked at it last week on the podcast. Um, I certainly saw a screenshot going to the group chat um, after you recorded at just the run-in that Dulwich have got, all the all the games at the bottom, teams at the bottom, and this was the first of them, and they got a key win in that. So hopefully they can take that momentum forward. Hungerford lost 2-0 at Hampton and Richmond Borough. And it's interesting you say, Joe, about Concord going down. They've still got nine games to play because they've got that many games in hand. So uh, can you not see them getting the nine points out of those nine games? Um, well, it's, you know, it's a it's a funny thing when, when, uh, when fans say, you know, oh, we've got nine games, plenty of time. We've only got to win a couple of games. The reason they're at the bottom is because they can't win games. So it's all right having nine games left, but they've actually got to win a game, you know, to, and they're, you know, 11 points clear uh, of the drop zone, or sorry, uh, clear um, away from catching Dulwich, who you would imagine will probably pick up more points between now and the end of the season. So it's 11 now. It'd be even more then. Um, so I, I can't see them staying up. Um, you know, I we saw the um, a bit of bickering on Twitter, I saw between... Uh, Concord's ex-manager and their current manager, um, and uh, yeah, it's not a not a good season for Concord. And you'd imagine that they would finish at the bottom. And if anybody's wondering, as I was, about how on earth Concord Rangers are going to fit in their remaining nine matches, well, they've got one still to be rescheduled, and I think we can almost pick where it fits in. Uh, they're going to play Monday, Thursday. Saturday, Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, Tuesday, Saturday. So I think probably the one that's got to be a range will fit in on that one vacant Thursday. What do you reckon? <laughs> I would add, can I just add on that, Luke? Um, on the Hampton game, I spoke to Tom in the week um, and I asked teams in the National League to all comment their teams and I would say who that they should sign in the summer. And two people that I said should leave Hampton and go higher up were Jake Gray and Rory Donaldson. And he came back to me and said, no way are they leaving um, because they've got good jobs and good contracts closer to home. 
and Hampton won 2 0 on the weekend. Jake Gray scored one and Rory Donaldson scored the other. Fantastic recovery for Hampton and Richmond Borough, up to 50 points for the season now. And they had serious worries about relegation, didn't they? Even as recently as a month or six weeks ago. Massive shout out to Taunton as well. They, I think they're safe now on 49. They won 2-0 away at Bath. And Tombridge and Hemel drew 1-1. But what a great uh, great season for Taunton, Joe. Yeah, pleased for Taunton. Um, Rob Dre's done a fantastic side, a fantastic job there. Um, and, you know, they've got a couple of key wins. They perhaps wouldn't have expected to win yesterday at Bath, um, but they did. Um, and they have been defensively strong this season with Jack Bycroft in goal. Um, so a clean sheet against a good Bath side. And, yeah, it looks like they're mm. safe. The Dover and Welling, they finished nil-nil. Welling limp into safety as are Dover. Uh, that is it. Thanks a lot, Rob, Joe and Dickie. Cheers, guys. Really enjoyed it today. Have a good week. Yeah, it was a pleasure. We'll um, speak on Monday, I imagine. Have a great Easter. Yeah, uh, well, maybe Monday evening or Tuesday. We'll uh, we'll have a pod out sometime after the Easter Monday fixtures, especially after the big one between Notts County and Wrexham. If you do get a chance to watch it, it is on BT Sport on Monday. Uh, don't forget to follow us on Twitter at NL Full Time on Instagram as well. And subscribe and leave us a like as well and a review. Thank you and we'll see you all very soon.